The Bible paints our relationship with our God as one between a loving shepherd and his sheep. A good shepherd feeds his sheep, strengthens the weak ones, binds and heals the injured ones, and brings back the ones that have gone astray, and goes in search of those that are lost. And when he finds them, he puts them on his shoulders and come home rejoicing. Now, that is the beautiful picture that the prophet Ezekiel paints in the Old Testament of God's relationship with his people. In our passage this morning from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, Mark presents Jesus as a loving shepherd who cares for his people. Now, from the flow of the narrative of the Gospel of Mark up to chapter 6, we came across the bad shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees, who were the spiritual shepherds of Israel, had already met up with the Herodians and decided to put Jesus to death. On the other hand, King Herod, the political shepherd of Israel, has beheaded John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Both the spiritual and political shepherds of Israel were corrupt to the core. And that's why when Jesus saw the large crowds in front of him, he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. From the story of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, we can learn some principles as to how we can care for one another in the church and in our community. And in order to do that, this morning we're going to answer three questions that this passage brings to us. Firstly, what did Jesus see and feel? Secondly, what did Jesus do? And thirdly, what did Jesus show us by this miracle? So that's where we are going this morning. It's very clear. These are the three questions that jumps out of the passage to us this, this morning, and that's, where, that's what we're going to do. We're going to answer these three questions. What did Jesus see and feel? What did Jesus do? And what did Jesus show us by this miracle? So let's pick up the first one. What did Jesus see and feel? Uh, Jesus saw a large crowd in front of him. The text tells us that when the people got wind of where Jesus was going, many of them ran on foot and got there ahead of him, which means that many of the people who were there, gathered there when Jesus came, were not sick people. They didn't go there to get healed, but they were there with a deep spiritual need. Israel's spiritual and political leaders had let them down very badly. They were supposed to care for God's people in a godly way. But the people of God who were led astray by their teaching and their example of these false shepherds. 
And Jesus saw their situation, and his heart went out to them because he knew this was not the way things were meant to be in God's world. Sin, evil, sickness, death were not part of God's design for mankind. We brought it upon ourselves by our own disobedience. And when Jesus saw his large crowds, crowd, he was moved with compassion. And his compassion arose from his character, his own character as God. Now, in caring for others, we need to develop this character of God in us by internalizing the word of God and striving to live in obedience to it. And when we do that, the Spirit of God and the Word of God sharpen our minds, soften our hearts, changes our attitudes, and shapes our character. In our study of the book of Proverbs, we learned about the wise people who were open to instruction and correction and were convinced that the search for wisdom was a lifelong process. And because of that, they were teachable. And unlike the fools, the mockers, the, and the sluggards, who were generally beyond the call of wisdom. So when we internalize the word of God, like the wise that we came across in the book of Proverbs, and be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God changes our character after him. That is why our, and this doesn't come naturally to us, it's hard work, hard and arduous work throughout our lives. That's why our ability to compassionately care for one another in an other-centered way does not come to us naturally. I remember when the Lord called me to work in the prisons, I was very apprehensive. My wife Joyce asked me, do you really want to do this? She was apprehensive as well. And I asked the Lord, Lord, why are you taking me to the worst possible place on earth to do your ministry? And the Lord in his kindness and in his goodness taught us a very important lesson. He impressed upon our hearts that we should learn to look at others as people created in the image of God for whom Jesus laid down his life and for whom the risen Lord is now awaiting with eagerness that they would turn from their wickedness and come to him and live. And when I started to look at the inmates in the prisons, as people created in the image of God, 
however damaged that image may be, for whom Jesus died. And that Jesus is waiting for them to turn to him and live. It opened up a whole new dimension in our relationships. And the Lord began to do great and mighty things in the prison through our ministries. We have to internalize the word of God and strive to live in obedience to it so that God's spirit can soften our hearts, sharpen our minds, change our attitudes, and shape our Christian character. If we are to see others the way Jesus sees, and if we are to feel for others the way Jesus feels. What did Jesus do? The second question. Jesus immediately began to teach them many things catering for their spiritual needs. Just as God gave the laws of Moses in the wilderness to instruct the people of Israel here in this patch of the wilderness, Jesus was shepherding his people teaching them and instructing them. God promised that once the people of Israel returned from exile from Babylon, that he would send them a Davidic shepherd. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23. Which, and, the, and the reference here to uh, servant David does not refer to King David because this prophecy was given at least 400 years after the time of David by Ezekiel. And this refers to God's messianic King Jesus coming from David's line. And the prophet Isaiah also in chapter 49, verses 9 and 10, said that this Davidic king from uh, this, this King Messiah from the Davidic line would feed his people by the roadside in the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit of God, who inspired the Gospel of Mark, shows us here that Jesus fulfills both these prophecies as he feeds the 5,000. He fed the 5,000 people by the wayside in the wilderness of Judea, both spiritually and physically, as they were there with a deep spiritual need and hunger in their lives. The other day I was walking in the prison yard in uh, in a section called, which I call, the naughty corner, where the most violent men are kept in segregation. And I saw this young man sitting in his cell, having a snack of uh, instant noodles and sauce around about 10.30 in the morning. So I walked up to him and I started a conversation with him. And uh, he, as we were talking, after some time, I 
quietly asked him about his religious upbringing. And he told me that he was from a Christian background, but he, he had no religious upbringing at all. And then he dropped a bombshell. He said, now I'm a Muslim. I have found Allah recently. My eyes sparkled and I said, oh, is it right? Tell me your story. I want to know how you came to know Allah in your life. So he told me that some of the Muslim inmates in the prisons, whom he called brothers, had told him that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Therefore, his resurrection didn't take place. And that the Bible had been corrupted, changed many times, and cannot be relied upon. And on the other hand, the Quran, according to him, is the undiluted word of God, and Muhammad is the final messenger from God. So I stood with him for another hour, talking to him about the truth of the gospel and the evidence that the Bible provides about the, concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which could be corroborated with history and archaeology and geographical places even today. We also discussed the origins of the Quran. He was sub simply surprised that there was no Quran when Muhammad died. The Quran was put together by one of his caliphs called Uthman. And then I challenged him. I asked him, which one do you want to believe? Do you want to believe the eyewitnesses account published within 30 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which the first century historians couldn't disagree with? Which the mighty Roman Empire couldn't refute? All that they could do was to persecute the people who put who testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ by throwing them into the Roman Colosseum to be attacked and killed by wild animals. Neither could the influential Jewish religious hierarchy refute the truth of the gospel. All what they could do was to bribe the soldiers to tell a lie. Or do you want to believe someone appearing 650 years later and saying, oh, all these are wrong, this is the truth. You are an intelligent young man, you make your decision. He looked at me and said, the facts speak for themselves. He said that twice. And then he said, can I have a Bible, please? I said, most certainly. But before that, would you like to invite this Jesus into your life? He said, I want to do it right away. I said, you're making a very important decision. <clears throat> Are you prepared to give control of your life to Jesus? He said, I'm ready here and now. So I put my hands through the iron bars of the prison doors, and we held hands, and I led him to the Lord, much to the dismay of the, of the prison guards, 
who often come and tell me, Chaplain, you should not put your hands through the iron bars. <laughs> These are very violent men. They can pull you, and before we can get there, you'll be done. But I thank God for the prison guards, for their concern for my safety and the safety of the other chaplains. God bless them for that. But there's one thing that they don't know. They don't know that the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel, when it comes upon a person, it breaks them down like little children in the presence of God. Very often, this burly, muscled, heavily tattooed, unshaven face, rough and tumble demeanor, people with all that kind of thing, are broken with tears as we hold hands and pray. And they often tell me, Chaplain, something happened while we were praying. Um, I can't explain to you what it is, but I feel so light now. And I tell them, I look into their eyes and tell them, that is a confirmation from the Spirit of God that Jesus indeed has risen from the dead and the gospel is true and that your sins have been forgiven and you're a new creation now. I'm so glad that the Lord led me to the cell of those lonely young men sitting in his prison cell with a deep spiritual need and thirst in his life. He was, has fallen away from the foundation of his faith and he was very vulnerable in the hands of the enemy. But it is also important that this, this vital ministry that God has given to us to share the gospel with others should be backed up with deeds that are consistent with the character of Jesus. Now, Jesus fed the people even before they asked for it. It was a simple meal of barley bread and fish. No sauce, no pickles, but they were full. full. And the love and care that God demonstrated, that Jesus demonstrated to us, must be exhibited by his disciples as well. When we minister to others with the gospel, we should also minister to their needs, both emotional and material. Only then we'll be able to emulate what God does what Jesus does. Let's go to the third question. What did Jesus show us by this miracle? Now, the purpose of this miracle is to re reveal who Jesus is. Jesus is showing himself as the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of God through the prophets. And Jesus is not a flash in the pan. He is not a figment of anybody's imagination. He is not a Mickey Mouse God. He does what God does. And Mark is showing us here that Jesus is the same God who fed the people of Israel in the wilderness with manna and quail. He is the same person that the prophets have prophesied throughout the ages. 
as the messianic king from David's line. The readers of Mark's gospel, therefore, should put their trust and faith in Jesus. That's the purpose of the book of Mark. But we can also tease out some principles of caring from the way Mark has recorded this miracle and from the way this story has been structured. Very often when it comes to caring for others, we feel inadequate in terms of our abilities, our resources, and our skill. At least in the story, the disciples of Jesus thought so. And they came up with two excuses to Jesus as to why they couldn't care for the people. First, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, send them away. Master, send them away so that they can fend for themselves. Fend for themselves. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Meaning, I know that you don't have enough resources to feed them but launch out in faith under me. So the disciples went and they did their sums and they came up with their budget requirements and said, Jesus, we need half a year's of wages to feed all these people. And you know what Jesus did? He completely ignored that suggestion. He completely ignored the financial limitation. He said, you go and see how many bread, loaves of bread you have. Go out and see. And so the disciples went out. Uh, this time I believe they believed in Jesus more than their financial limitations. So I think they probably would have remembered Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine, something ordinary into something extraordinary. Something small into something big, beautiful, and wonderful. So they went out uh, looking for food amongst the crowd, and they brought five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish to Jesus. And that was exactly what Jesus was looking for. Jesus wanted his disciples to bring their insufficiencies, their shortcomings, and their limitations to him, that he can take that and do something big. In the story, as it, as it develops, the next thing that we come to know is that the disciples' faith turned into cheerful obedience to the commands of Jesus. When Jesus asked him to seat the people in groups. Just imagine you and I walking in the midst of 5,000 people and saying, oh, we're going to serve dinner, please sit in circles, having only five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish, and not knowing what's going to happen thereafter. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to the Father, and gave it to them to distribute. Now, Jesus who created the heavens and the earth, the entire cosmos, could have easily said, let there be bread. And there would have been bread in abundance. 
He would have, if he could have easily said that there be fish, and there would have been the best fish stew that you could have ever tasted in abundance. But he didn't do that. He expected his disciples to bring their limitations to him so that he can do, take a little and do a lot. There's a lesson for us here. We need to entrust, we must learn to entrust to Jesus whatever resources we have, our limitations, our shortcomings, our fears, our apprehensions, and launch out in faith to do what God has called us to do. That's what the Lord is looking for in us as MBMers, to be faithful to God, Christ, and to be obedient to his word. That's what will make us accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish in Western Sydney. Faith in Christ and obedience to his word. Having seen what uh, Jesus saw and felt, having seen what he did, and having understood what Jesus taught us through this miracle, I want to leave you with this question. Just as much as that young man was seated in his prison, lonely cell with a deep spiritual need, there are many in Western Sydney sitting in their million dollar houses with the same spiritual need and thirst. And Jesus is telling the MBMers, you go and give them some spiritual food. And how will we respond to that? Or we can say, I can't do that because I'm scared to do it. Or I don't know much about other religions. I can't go and talk to them. Or I'm, I'm, I'm not equipped to do that. Well, put your limitations, your apprehensions, and your fears into the hands of Jesus and launch out in faith and see what happens. And see what happens. It may be that God might ask you to pray for a group of people regularly. It may be that God might ask you to talk to your neighbors and invite them for a coffee and get friendly with them. Or it may be that God may be calling you to be a mentor with the Crossway Prison Ministries to disciple these unfortunate men and women who are incarcerated and who have come to know Jesus in their lives. It's a precious ministry for the taxpayers and the outcasts. Commit your fears, your apprehensions, and your limitations to Jesus and launch out in faith and see what happens. See what happens. Let me pray for you. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way Jesus has demonstrated to us to love and care for one another, Lord. 
I pray, Father, that you will be with us as MBMers. Help us to love one another as the way you love us, Lord, so that our witness can be powerful in this Western Sydney area, bringing many to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And those